Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of HSJ's Health Check podcast. My name is Nicholas Carding. I'm a senior correspondent at HSJ, and I'm standing in for Annabelle while she is away on holiday. Uh, joining me today are Dave West and Alison Moore, uh, and we're going to be discussing the latest developments of the new health and care bill and how the NHS might organise itself as we approach the last uh, four or five months before ICSs are likely to become statutory. We're also going to talk about the uh, long-awaited terms of reference for the messenger review into NHS leadership and what they might mean for the leadership community. And we'll hear an unusual story about a hospital charity uh, where things aren't quite as they seem. But first of all, uh, Dave broke an important story in the integration space this week about uh, the accountability for health and care within ICS localities. So, Dave, could you um, start just by explaining what your what your story is about, first of all? Yes, sure. I've written a couple of pieces over the last week about um, proposals emerging around the government's uh, planned integration white paper. Uh, uh, When the government announced its health and care levy extra revenue funding for health and social care, it also said it would publish white papers on one on social care generally and one on integration. And both of them are possibly, it is possibly trying to get both of them out before Christmas in what is, you know, pretty um, packed schedule. And there's sort of still every chance really that this stuff will change and that the white papers will be pushed back till till next year. Um, but um, but at the same time, there is also a live possibility that the integration white paper will be published soon in early December. And one of the things that... Um, that number 10 um, and and some of this is coming it seems particularly specifically from the prime minister um is a significant advancement in um in the way that health and social care work together uh, 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 managed together uh, in a place what is being known in the current um, jargon as place i.e an area a borough a district a county an area which tends to be smaller than an integrated care system integrated care systems normally span a number of of places um and um and w- what it seems that 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 number 10 is one thing that 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 is certainly been pushed on by parts of government is a desire to have a single leader accountable across health and social care in each place for the planning commissioning purchasing of services uh and the desire there i think is to make have some sim- more straightforward accountability you know in in fairness a lot of people are confused about about um who's responsible for what in all this and so there's a bit of a desire for look can we just make it clear who's responsible for this stuff in each given place um a desire to bring the two things together decision making together to get the benefits out of integration which are sort of often promised for in terms of whether that's in terms of all the service user and population experience or efficiency and so on and so on lots of benefits promised from integration um or or or, other, or or in terms of getting that kind of delivery grit which government and and you know and, and the center of the nhs are understandably um, interested in about look we need to know who's in charge here and and that they they're keen to set or to agree a specific set of metrics outcomes for each place as well and to say look we will be able to hold this person accountable for this improvement which is going to come out of all this money we've put in and these reforms we're putting through um 
Now, attached to that, I mean, th there are some difficulties with, with those proposals and people senior in the NHS are, are concerned about some of this. There are a lot of areas that have a kind of place leader already, you know, appointed some place leaders already. There's areas in Yorkshire, Manchester, um, uh, you know, other parts of the country. I think there was one in the southwest, I think in Cornwall, but they've now gone back on that and a number of these have reversed where there is a single person who's the chief executive of the CCG and of the, the council. Um, and so, in a sense, that's only what these people in government are only proposing that that is spread more widely. Um, but uh, the, the concerns arise from the fact that it appears that there will be some you know, requirement to do this and therefore it will have to happen in places even where it's not it's not very neat. You know, someone pointed out cases where um, the local authority is is actually bigger than the places. You know, uh, large county councils actually have several district places within them. The county council holds the health and social the social care responsibility. So why would it want to sort of like carve that up and delegate it down to smaller district places? Um, but there's other problems. And and when you start talking about pooled budgets, now there's mixed messages. I think people in government are, are sort of playing down the fact that they're going to require some big leap in pooled budgets. But at the same time, I think it clearly is being discussed. Um, and once you start talking about substantial budget pooling, there's all kinds of other concerns arise about how that's accounted for and the risk, you know, from the NHS point of view, the risk that it puts money into a pooled budget and then actually local authorities pull funding out of social care. Uh, you know, it is actually the, the funding is not sort of supplemented by the doing this pooling, but it's actually um, NHS funding just displaces social care funding because there's not much transparency about an NHS budget for a given area is decided by a national allocation formula, but there is no such thing for social care. It's decided by local councillors and it's entirely possible for them to say, well, we're just going to spend, you know, less. I mean, I'm sure conversely in the local government side, they kind of, uh, you know, we've had a lot of these rows over the Better Care Fund, which is a sort of miniature forced pooled budget. Um, you know, on the on the local government side, they probably feel that the they don't want to have any take on the NHS's deficits in some cases um, as well, and that actually they feel they get a bum deal out of it sometimes. Um, so all that creates um, creates concern and. And particularly with integrated care systems are meant to be going live in April next year if the health and care bill gets through in time. Um, and so there's a kind of question as well as about why is this like apparently quite quite meaty policy emerging, um, you know, just uh, four months before the other bit of, of integration legislation is about to be switched on. Will these roles be, I mean, are they attractive roles? I mean, who? I think you mentioned that the government were kind of hoping it would be sort of a, a wider pool of candidates potentially that might be interested in taking these roles, not just, um, you know, CCG chiefs or, or council execs, but are they going to be quite attractive roles for people and who who from elsewhere would be interested in leading this kind of, or holding this kind of position? A place leader, I mean, it's, that's a, it's a bit of a mystery, I think. I mean, some of them at the moment, the sort of emerging people are so, in some cases are local government chief execs who've been willing to take on the NHS role as well. Although you imagine some of them would say, well, I'm quite busy with my local government role, thanks. You know, I don't really want your problems. Um, uh, some of them are CCG chief executives who have, you know, also taken on the social care responsibilities in councils. Some of them in um, in, for example, Croydon, where they've 
been doing a lot of work to develop sort of placed-based lead provider, Croydon Health and Care Trust, I think it's called, and the chief executive there, Matthew Kershaw, holds a kind of system hat, and similar things have been done in Bradford, um, I think, where the, the provider chief exec, um, acute provider chief exec was sort of also appointed as a kind of place lead but they don't have um they don't have sort of formal employment and responsibilities in within the, the councils in those areas um so they could come from the different quarters and you know people involved in all this are keen to stress like we're going to do lots of engagement and consultation we're not springing this on something we're not mandating something although however you probably will have to do it at some point um uh uh, and that there will be options, you know, you can pick your provider chief exec, you can pick so and so, you can pick, uh, you know, a variety of different people. But I mean, HR wise, I mean, it's going to presumably some sort of HR process will kick in as well if they do do this, whereby CCG chief execs would, who are being essentially their jobs are being taken out, of course, um, by uh, the move to integrated care systems in in many cases the ccg chief exec would say well i have a, a, a legal right to be considered and perhaps to be recruited for this place leader role which sounds very much like similar to what i was doing before so um yeah i think those would be yeah. the default candidates okay and it, i'm interested um the point you've also made about the fact that you said this is sort of coming very heavily from number 10 and potentially even from the prime minister himself um, and I appreciate we're probably now moving to the realm of sort of speculation, but um, it just seems a bit surprising that the PM himself would be kind of pushing it to that detail. It seems like a quite a, a detailed sort of um, development that perhaps, you know, I thought maybe he wouldn't be necessarily that clued up on overall. But do you think it's sort of a sign of you uh, think influence sort of from someone like, yeah. um, sorry? It raises the question of how this is managed in Peppa Pig world, I suppose. The, uh... <laughs> yeah, I just want, I'm curious, you know, is this a case of people like Emily Lawson and Sam Jones kind of getting their message across to him? Or is it the um, uh, local authority sort of people who have got, got his ear? I just wonder kind of who, how this has sort of come to his attention and who's who's going to be the ultimate winner, whether it's the NHS or, or local authorities, if this goes ahead. I suppose the one version is is that you know integration has been you know many people in, including you know within the nhs often guilty of promoting integration across health and social care as a good and important thing and so maybe you know he has just sort of taken it at face value and now saying well come on then yeah you need to actually do it please <laughs> um you know you can't keep saying you want to integrate and then refusing to um uh, refusing to actually share a budget and share a responsibility, a legal responsibility across across the two. Um, but yeah, it is possible that clearly local government, you know, political people are often very connected into local government and that someone in uh, someone or multiple people in local government has sort of um, persuaded him that, 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 you know, the NHS needs kind of dragging over this um, sort of uh, into this kind of new relationship um, or that, you um, yeah, or that, or, or the other other kind of uh, people. There's pressure, you know, politically to sort of make sure something is done on social care and money is going in. So pressure to make sure that something is done with that money, and that you know, there's a constant refrain of you know we need to get health and care services to reform as well as take the take the money. So there may be a, a push there. But he he did. If you go back to um, the announcement. I think it was when the health and care levy was announced and the prime minister gave a, a you know press conference to, to announce that if you listen he was actually talking quite specifically about 
um, I think it was sort of delayed discharges, you know, people stuck in hospital um, and that this was caused by the fragmentation across health and social care. So I think something does appear that something clicked in his uh, mind for whatever reason about it actually being important yeah. that, and that and that, you know, these people do need to be um, can be managed better if we join up health and care properly. Yeah, and just a final question on um, uh, on this uh, place uh, story. So, if it if it does go ahead, let's say it's in the white paper, which is published before Christmas, would it mean that there would suddenly have to be a rush to to appoint all these place directors uh, by April the first, uh, which is when ICS has become statutory, or would there be a longer process? Do you think to sort of allow um, ICSs choose their place directors? Yeah, I think it's very likely. I think it's very likely they'll give a longer timetable. You know, okay. and ICSs. It's been made. ICSs have been a number of ICS people have been keen to stress even before all this came along that they won't actually be all singing, all dancing on the first of April. If they do come into legal being, they aren't going to have. They aren't all going to have place execs in place. They aren't all going to have proper schemes of delegation down to down to place and that and you get all that sort of thing is, ar is arisen by this of the complexity of getting the governance in place if you want to share substantial powers and responsibilities a lot of people are saying well there isn't a legal thing of a place you know that's that's the the sort of um strangeness here is like when mm. it sounds quite sensible to join up um join up health and social care in buckinghamshire or oxfordshire or whatever but then well why are you having a bill which is actually removing power and decision making from buckinghamshire and oxfordshire and putting <laughs> the bob ics you know isn't that you're not uh, you know you're running into separate contrast there. um so um uh better a slight diversion but it, there is not a legal thing that so it requires a lot of governance and things and i i think that they would be realistic enough everyone involved would be realistic enough to give a bit of a longer timetable but you know if you were the place just get obviously powerful stakeholders in these places whether that be the local government or the sort of remnants of the ccgs or the trust in some cases local trust saying you know hang on a minute hand over the reins here and they're going to be going to be pressing mm. for yeah, and while we're on appointments, um, obviously ICSs have been busy announcing their chief exec and chair designate uh, appointments. Um, I don't think we've done an update on this podcast for a while uh, since they were announced. So am I right in thinking, well, where are we actually, um, Dave and, and Alison, too, in, in your areas? Like, well, we've got, what, about 10, 15 ICSs that still haven't appointed a, a CEO? Is that right? I think that's right. About ten have not either not appointed or not, or not declared that they have failed to appoint, and a bunch have failed to appoint significantly. Um, uh, yeah, so about ten out of so about a quarter left to go. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite a dra yeah. strange, drawn-out process. Is it's it very odd in Surrey? Sorry, go on, Sorry I was just going to say it's it's very odd in Surrey, uh, where we're waiting for both the ICS leads. Um, one for Frimley and one for Surrey Heartlands, whereas the rest of the South East ha has announced and appointed several weeks ago. Not quite certain what the, the hold up is there, but I have heard rumours that in some areas, not necessarily Surrey, um, the issue has been around pay for the ICS leader. And presumably right. they're looking for higher rates than uh, is considered acceptable. Yeah, I mean, because I thought, correct me if I'm wrong, Alison, but wasn't Frimley one of the few, if not the only ICS, to sort of get a um, the top rating from the NHS England in the new um, sort of structure of 
say was it I, segment one to four i think i can't remember if it was yes i think I, I, ICS, I, I, I think it was and of course it's an ics which has an interesting history um and that it it really seemed a few months ago as if it might be split up in and put out to other ICSs um, so that it was coterminous with council boundaries and that hasn't happened and it has remained independent probably because there's a lot of influential local MPs pushing for it to remain as a single ICS but it does mean it covers five local authority areas, three unitary councils and then bits of Surrey and Hampshire which playing back to Dave's piece makes it very difficult to see how you would have someone who would have responsibility for commissioning health and social care for, for the northeast north of Hampshire but not the rest. Yeah it is I mean it's been underlined that actually this could if taken to a certain um, certain conclusion then it could actually force them to reopen all those boundary issues which were only settled back in July um, I think yes. it was July, it? June July they were from the places like Frimley were given the go ahead. Just uh, lastly on the ICS appointments, so that uh, is there a kind of very sort of consistent geographical spread of where areas haven't yet appointed or other regions that have, um, uh, you know, really struggled? There are some all around the place, but the, the Midlands seems to particularly struggled uh, for, I think, a combination of reasons, to be honest. But a lot of people are talking about the fact that there are more smaller ICSs in the Midlands than in most places. It's obviously one of seven NHS regions, but has 11, i.e. Uh, more than a quarter of the ICSs in, in the country in England. So it's a disproportionate number of ICSs. And there's been discussion, I think, over quite a number of years about really that they need to merge down to sort of five or six ICSs and that that would be better for various reasons, partly because of recruitment, although some big um, ICSs like Greater Manchester have failed to appoint as well. So it's not all about size, but also I think there's a kind of general like performance problem which is running away with itself a bit in the Midlands and needs some sort of um, sort of more more decisive and more kind of like leadership management ballast at that sort of sub sub regional level and hope that you could bring in some good good managers to do that and kind of you know stop these issues in Nottingham and Leicester and Shrewsbury and the Black Country and Birmingham Worcester stop the you try and um try and get them onto a better track by yeah okay from outside the providers so there is a there is a regional pattern but but there's a wider thing of you know they published these NHS England offered quite substantial salaries you know similar to some of the most well-paid provider chief execs for ICS CEO roles and they haven't attracted those kind of candidates uh, so bigger question there about why and what that means and stuff but maybe for another podcast yeah, I was going to say, maybe that's for the for the next podcast. It's uh, a lot to discuss there as well. And that just brings me on to, I think, the, I suppose the last uh, development in term, terms of the sort of NHS leadership uh, uh, news. Um, we had the uh, terms of reference, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, for the Messenger Review. So for anyone unfamiliar with the Messenger Review, it is the biggest review of NHS leadership since, I think, the 1980s, um, being led by uh, Gordon Messenger. Um, Dave, just tell us quickly what was in those terms of reference. Was there anything that sort of stood out as particularly significant or significant for not being included? <laughs> they were pretty brief, despite coming quite a long time after they were initially promised, um, because the messenger review was announced in early October and um, 
Sajid Javid said at the time that he wanted the terms, he wanted it to be quick in terms of reference to be out within um, a week. And now they've only just come out. So that's quite a lot longer than a week. Um, they're pretty, pretty brief about looking into, you know, the, how to strengthen leadership, variation in leadership, what kind of interventions could be used to improve uh, management, leadership and performance and that sort of stuff. They do. They don't specifically mention the national arms length bodies i.e um nhs england and so on where which people i think chris hobson sort of um and are on record and others have said you know actually messenger you need to look at uh look at nhs england and stuff and i think there's a there's a case that um there's a case that, that, that kind of someone does need to take a look at well, shouldn't NHS England and the Department of Health be devolving out their powers down to these ICSs now they're setting them up, um, their powers and resources. Um, but it doesn't talk about that. It, it does hint towards some of the things it's more likely to consider, like, um, you know, what kind of interventions like neighbor, strong providers taking over their neighbours to, to get in sharing management and uh, merger and acquisition and so on. Could more incentives be given for for um for good managers to do more an issue that people like david dalton have always raised is that if, if however good a provider is they don't get many more benefits and their leaders don't get many more benefits or freedoms so could could more be done in that area mm. which really is is very likely to take um government into sort of uncomfortable territory when it when it's sort of um right wing is uncomfortable but feels that nhs leaders are probably paid too much and there's too many of them it's probably actually going to find that they may need to be paid more and the best ones sort of incentivized to uh with pay and another <laughs> means to do more so takes the look, look forward to seeing and Alistair, uh, our editor alistair mcclendon sort of kind of predicted some of this when the messenger review was launched saying that these reviews tend to find a similar thing which is that broadly actually nhs management's pretty good and it needs support and reward and things like that so we'll look forward to the daily telegraph headlines for when that moment comes and when those findings are presented um <laughs> uh, okay and then lastly um we have published quite an interesting and unusual story this week from Alison, um, which is to do with a, a hospital charity, which I believe is now being looked into by the Charity Commission. Um, could you talk to us about this story, Alison? Just tell us what, what what's going on here and um, yeah, just get, give us the details. Yeah, so and this is, is rather an odd little story. It concerns a charity called Hospitals Charity, which has no formal affiliation with any hospital or with the NHS. Notably, their website doesn't use the NHS logo, which, of course, is um, pretty protected. And uh, the, the DHSC goes into bat if anyone uses it without permission. It, The charity is aiming to raise money for... NHS hospitals and until recently it had a list of 470 hospitals on its website that it said it was was raising funds for. Um, its fundraising has, from what I have gathered, seems to be mainly um, what's called um, uh, uh, chugging, um, collecting outside hospitals, sorry, collecting outside supermarkets and getting people to sign up to make a regular contribution. So rather than saying, put your two two pounds in this this box, please, it's give us a direct debit for five or ten pounds a month or whatever. Now, to be fair to the charity, it launched in September 2019. So it had about six months before the pandemic hit and severely affected its its plans. 
consequently, it doesn't seem to have raised very much money. It hasn't distributed very much money to the, the, to, to hospitals. Um, and it's aroused some concerns, I think it's fair to say, amongst people involved in hospitals' own charities who feel that um, this charity has come along, um, promoted itself as um, trying to, to, to raise money for this list of 470 hospitals, and yet they've, they've had no contact with the hospitals. The Charity Commission mm. was looking into the organisation because it hadn't submitted its accounts on time. Um, it has now submitted those accounts, uh, which run to the end of August 2020. Um, I had a quick look at, at them, and in that time, its income was around 30,000, which 20,000 seemed to have been a donation from the five trustees. So it really hadn't raised very much money at all at that point. Things seem to have improved since then. then I've been told that they're now raised about 128,000 in, in total. And they have, in the last week or so, started to contact individual hospitals and tell them that they are getting um, a donation. They supplied okay. me with a list of 49 hospitals which were, were in the process of, of getting donations. So how much has been distributed so far? Uh, do we know? That's an sure. interesting question, yes. Uh, I don't think very much. Um, okay. Yeah. I think it is being distributed, um, and I understand a number of hospitals got phone calls this week. Okay. So, what are the implications for the the trusts? You know, the hospitals involved here, or um, are they? You know, they obviously haven't been contacted, but they're they're still associated with the charity because the charity is publishing the. The hospital's details on the websites and so on. Is there any sort of, has there been any um, response from the NHS um, about what's going on here? Yes, yes, I think the response has generally been a, one of concern. I think individual hospitals have their own charities um, and their charity fundraisers have be, have, uh, have felt um, that this is a little odd that someone should come along and um, start fundraising on the same premise. Um, particularly as the list of 470 hospitals contained lots of misspellings. It, it included hospitals which had closed a decade ago and it listed hospitals by, in the wrong region. So it, it, all in all, it looked rather amateurish, to be um, honest about it. Um, NHS Charities Together, which is obviously the umbrella charity for, uh, for the NHS, is a little concerned about this and rather unhappy and I understand has uh, approached some of the regulatory authorities um, with these concerns yet to hear what the outcome would be. But having said all that, I spoke to one of the trustees uh, 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 of the hospital's charity, um, a very genuine, nice guy who's a trustee of a, at least one other charity. Um, I think the intentions were wholly honourable. I think it's set up by a group of people who really did want to raise money by the NHS. And for various reasons, this hasn't gone as they planned. And mm. obviously, NHS charities feel that their, their toes have been trodden on a little bit. 
Yes. Uh, yeah. That was going to be my final question: was who do do we know much about who the people behind it are? But it sounds like they all are sort of people who have experience of the charity sector already. Then certainly, certainly one of them had. And having spoken to him, as I said, I, th- I think he he and the others genuinely wanted to raise money for the NHS. It's not quite worked out how how it's planned. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll we'll f- look forward to. Uh, follow-ups on that story to see see what happens next um, and that is all we have got time for on this week's podcast so uh, big thank you to uh, both Dave and Alison for joining me uh, to talk about their stories um, thanks very much for listening and just a reminder that you can get in touch with um, any tips and ideas for what uh, you'd like us to talk about by emailing annabelle.collins at wilmingtonhealthcare.com. You've been listening to the HJ Health Check podcast, which is available each week on the HJ website and across all the main podcast channels. Uh, Please don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, Thanks again for listening and we'll be back next week.